0: sure I give me the clue. I'm good. Okay. Can you hear us? Say amen. All right. Mr. Kotzer. Okay. Good morning, everyone. I want to hear it again. Good morning, everyone. If you're not awake, please get awake. Okay, this morning I like to, I would like to center our attention on Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 8 through 15, but as you can see on the screen, number one screen, it's infused with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, I'm not covering two topics, I'm covering one topic, because anything related to Jesus Christ can be seen throughout the Word of God. Can I get an amen? Amen. Maybe you don't know what I mean by that, but as we go along, perhaps you will see what I mean. Anyhow, I'm going to repeat myself, I'm sure, this morning, and I'm going to say the topic again. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verses 8 through 15 in truth with the gospel of Jesus Christ which is the good news say good news I got some good news from the word of God a look at Ecclesiastes the injustices it talks about love of money and so on so number two let's get started Verse 8 all the way down through 10, if you see oppression of the poor and denial of justice and righteousness in the province or country, do not be shocked at the sight, for one official watches over another official, and there are higher officials over them. Verse 9, after all, a king who cultivates the field is an advantage to the land. Now, I know this seems humdrum, but just hold your horses in a way. Verse 10, he who loves money, there's that change. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This, too, says the author of Ecclesiastes, this, too, is vanity. Now, I'm I'm going to repeat verse 10 again on the next page perhaps for emphasis. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. I don't want you to think that this sermon is about money. And as you will see, and I thank you, it's not about money at all. In some respects. When good things increase, those who consume their them increase. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look on? Verse 12, the sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. Number four, there is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. When those riches were lost through a bad investment and he had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him. And the last verse, or number four, as he come naked from his mother's womb, so will he return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry. In his hand Number 5 Now we're going to go back to verse 8 and 9 I'm going to try to go slow enough So that I will have enough emphasis On what I'd like to talk about this morning If you see oppression of the poor And denial of justice and righteousness in the province Do not be shocked at the sight For one official watches over another official and there are higher officials over them. After all, a king who cultivates the field is an advantage to the land, number six. I said I was going to repeat myself, so don't get bored. If you see oppression of the poor and denial of justice and righteousness in the province, do not be shocked to the sight for one official watches over another, and there are higher officials over them. Number seven, the Net Bible. I'm starting to do a little research now. The Net Bible, I believe, gives us a clear explanation of this passage by saying this may describe a corrupt system of government in which each level, from top to bottom, exploits its subordinates all the way down to the lowest level, set in authority over the people. Is an official who enriches himself at their expense. He is watched by a more authoritative governor who also has his share of the spoils. And above them are other officers of the state who likewise have to be satisfied. Do you see that in the government today? Can I get an amen? That's okay. Number eight, there be higher than they. The reference is plainly to God's tribunal, higher than they. If there were no judgment to come, we might well wonder at the violence and oppression with which the earth is filled. The only adequate explanation is that which the preacher himself gives at the close of the book. God shall bring every work into judgment. Now we're going to take a look at number nine. God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. That is a conditional statement. Let me go back to number nine. Go back to number nine on screen. God will bring every act to judgment. Everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Now number ten again. This is a conditional statement because, listen closely, say condemnation. Condemnation. What does Romans 8, 1 say? There is therefore now. I like that. There is, therefore, I'm, I'm reading from the King James in my head. Let me stick with the text. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Did you get that? If you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior, there's no condemnation. Can I get an amen? amen. No condemnation. <laughs> Isaiah forty three twenty five. I Even I am he that blots out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember your sins. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. If you, Lord, would count or mark iniquities, O Lord, who would stand? If God would count your and my transgressions, we'd all be lost. But because of the finished work of the Lamb of God, there is therefore, there is therefore, let me get in my words mixed up here, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I want you to ask a question. Are you in Christ Jesus? Have you accepted the finished work that he did on the cross and rose from the grave? Can I get a witness? If you haven't, without me trying to be smart, you're lost. I might as well come out and say it. If you have not accepted, without your so-called good works, that Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law, you're lost. Let me go back. Number 11. This then will be the conclusion of the whole mortal story. And although in this world all is vanity, yet vanities will be vain no more. Everything, whether good or evil, will have its own proper, stable, eternal results. Oh God, say, "Oh Oh God. Prepare the reader to give up his account with joy. I'm going to say this, and this is not in the script. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, knowing that there's therefore now no condemnation, you ought to be filled with joy. Not depression. I know there is depression. I'm not saying that Christians don't go through depression, but your overwhelming character should be one of joy. Number 12. Why are you going back on this, Brother Bruce? Prepare to meet your God. I want to ask you this morning, are you prepared to meet God? Are you really prepared to meet God? I was talking to someone the other day, and some of you, I have already related this. I'm not calling any names because I don't know his name. And that's good for me. I said to him, not in these exact words, but I said, do you know Christ as your personal Savior? Do you know where you're going to spend eternity? And he said, I hope so. I remember that. I hope so. He says, I was baptized two years ago. And I went on to candidly and lovingly say to him, baptism doesn't save you. Can I get an amen? The finished work of Jesus Christ is what saves a person. When you trust in what he has already done, baptism is just an identification of you dying with Christ and raising up. If you're here this morning, I'm not picking on you. Don't you dare think that baptism saves you. The finished work of Jesus Christ is what satisfies the Lamb of God and you. And you can know you're saved. You don't have to hope so. You don't have to maybe so. You can know so. Where would you get that from, Brother Bruce? These things I have written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal How do you know that? By trusting in Christ. The Holy Spirit comes in and makes his residence within you and plants his seal that you are indeed a child of the king. Number 13. I got this from the Yes Study Bible. The preacher observes the destructive nature of greed. Talking about money concludes that contentment is a key characteristic of godly life. Say godly life. life. I want you to be honest with yourself, and I'm including myself. Am I living a godly life for Jesus Christ? I wonder sometimes. But Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and that's not on the screen, Tells me and you, be ye transformed. Are you being transformed? It's an ongoing process. It never stops till you meet the Lord. Are you being transformed? Or are you and I still living like the world? Do anything we want? Say anything we want? Contentment. Now that I speak, not that I speak from one, for I have learned. Can you say learn? Walking with Jesus Christ is a never-ending learning experience. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. It's not money in itself it's the love of money being content with what you have for he himself has said I, I want you to get this I will never leave you or desert you nor will I ever forsake you don't you know and I don't I don't know how to say this without just saying it don't you know that once you accept Christ as your personal savior he never leaves you can I get an amen got to make sure we're on the right track here. Number 14, because there will be a day of judgment, every soul of man shall stand at that bar. God, the infinitely wise, the heart searching God will be the judge. He will bring to light every secret thing that all has been done since the creation by all men whether forgotten or registered, whether done in secret or in public, all the works of the godly as well as the works of the wicked shall be judged in that day. The good which the godly strove to conceal. Are you concealing something? I don't want anybody else to know about this. And maybe they shouldn't. Because you've confessed it to God and he's not going to bring it up anymore. As well as the evil which the... Wicked endeavor to hide. I'm going to go back to something I've already said. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. If you notice, I at the at the bottom. Remember, it's conditional. Why is it conditional, Brother Bruce? Because the Lord Jesus Christ has taken upon Himself to infinitely pay for every last drop of your personal sin. Sure is quiet in here, Pastor. You mean to tell me I have a Savior that took every drop of my secret sins and every drop of my overt sins with people saw and took him to the cross and he said, My God, my God, just for me. Number 16. After all, now this is interesting. Why is this coming up about a king cultivating the land? A king who cultivates the field is an advantage to the land. It is a consolation to think that oppression must have its limits. Since without the cultivation of the ground, the king could not get his reverence. So that in one view, the king is more dependent on the plowman than the plowman on the king. You think you're poor in state? You think people are lording over you? Your justice is important to God, from the rich to the poor. You're important. How do you know that, Brother Bruce? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, amen, and loses his soul? You are important to God. In so much, and I don't want to sound redundant, in so much that as he walked to the cross, in so much that he was beaten beyond recognition, in so much that they pulled out his hair and his 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 beard by the roots, he had you and me in mind. You're important. Number 17. And thinking about the king, say king. King's cultivation. The New American Standard Bible. After all, a king who cultivates the field is an advantage to the land. God's word for student Bible. A king is an advantage for a country which cultivates fields. Now here's the key question. Say cultivation. Cultivation. You, You thought this message was irrelevant to you. Here's a good point that the Holy Spirit told me to put in this message. How well let me slow down. How well has your heart and mine been cultivated? cultivated by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let me say it again. How well has your heart and mind been cultivated by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Well, who is the King of Kings? You can say, who is he? Jesus Christ. Number 18. Let the Word of Christ dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let me slow down. I could feel myself getting ahead. Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. Does the word of God dwell in you? Does does this book have any meaning to you? Has it any mean? Has what is said in this book? Have any, it says, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. Are you cultivated? Has the word of God fallen on rocky grounds? I should have, ore. When you hear this message, does it mean anything to you? Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on rocky places, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. Which, which, which category are you in? Number 20. I think I missed a page, I don't see it here. I'm going to go back to it later. Number 20. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. The greatest treasures of silver do not satisfy the greedy possessor of it. Partly because his mind is insatiable and his desires are increased by and with gains, partly because silver of itself cannot satisfy his natural desires. Say natural desires. There's only one thing that can satisfy your eternal soul, Jesus Christ. And necessities as the fruit of the field can do, and the miserable wretch which grudges to part with his silver though it be to purchase things needful and convenient for him no i didn't mr page i just for, i thought that i did but here goes oh brothers and sisters why can't we be greedy about the word of god and his righteousness let's put greed in its proper perspective can i get an amen What about being greedy for the word? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be, what's the last word? Satisfied. Is this true about you or me? I'm going to read it again. Why can't we be greedy about the word of God and his righteousness? Blessed are those who are hungry and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Is this true about you and me? Or can you go without this book for a whole week, a whole year, and you don't care if it's on the shelf or not? This is what the psalmist says. More to be desired than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. You can see, see the Hebrew under it, the droppings of a honeycomb. Psalm 119, 103, how sweet are the words unto my taste. Is this good to you? Do? do you find it satisfying? Let me repeat. How sweet are thy words, not any words, thy words, God's inspired words. Yes, sweeter than honey, to my mouth. 23. Here's some more. More. Psalm 119. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold. Yes, above fine gold. Psalm 119, 173. Let my tongue sing of your word. I want to slow down here for a second. Sometimes, some of you sing a song about the Lord, and I praise you for that. Is there any praise on your lips and mine as we go throughout the week? All the time, somebody said, let my tongue sing of your word for all your commandments are righteousness. Proverbs 10, 8 through 11. Take my instruction and not silver. And knowledge rather than choices gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. I glad somebody said that, man. You see many men and women hungering and thirsting after sensual satisfactions? or after sensible enjoyments. These are unhappy, miserable people. I'm just going to that for men. They often hunger and thirst and are not satisfied. But I will show, show you a more excellent way, a more excellent object of your hunger and thirst. That is righteousness. Both a righteousness wherein you may stand before God. Do you know there's a righteousness that you can stand before God? What is that, Brother Bruce, the righteousness he imputes to you, he puts to your account when you accept the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's the righteousness he imputes. He charges it to your account. Those are blessed men who first seek the kingdom of heaven and the righteousness thereof. God will fill these men with what they desire. Well, here's those scriptures. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. Romans 17 For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous shall live by faith. 26 Not only do we get saved by faith through the finished work of Jesus Christ, but there is an ongoing type of faith which includes works that are pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get it one amen? amen. After you receive Christ as your personal savior, God begins to work on you as an individual. He's working on you. How does he do that? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say this again and then move on. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Say revealed. Don't you know when you get in this book, when you set your heart God will continue to reveal things to you that He won't reveal to anybody else. What a pleasure. Before I go on, what a pleasure to know that Jesus is the Alpha. What's the rest part? The Omega. He's the big inning and the end. I'm not going to go on. I'm not going to recite. Don't you know he's the alpha, revelation, and the omega? Don't you know somebody repeated this the other day, so I don't mind saying it. Don't you know that in this book that Jesus Christ had a face-to-face relationship before the world even existed? Don't you know that he created all things and that you were created for Jesus? 27. Here's another way to put it. For by grace, here he goes again with that grace again. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. I have the slightest idea who I'm talking to, but I'm going to say it again. God's gift. He wants to have a relationship with you. But he wants to give you that gift. What is it? Eternal life. Not just, I want, maybe I can make this clear by saying not just eternal existence. Because we're all going to live somewhere and go somewhere. But this is eternal life. It's abundant life, both here and into eternity. Brother Bruce, i got to be a good boy. i got to stop doing this. i got to stop doing that. Come to Christ and you'll stop doing this. And you'll stop doing that as he works on you. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. You'll, I know I said this last week, and I don't know who I'm talking to. You'll never be able to boast as how good you were to get saved. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. And I could never be good enough. Why is that, Brother Bruce? Psalm fifty-one, one—not fifty-one, not fifty-one, one. I was born, Brother Bruce, and you were born in sin. You have a sinful nature, and the only way you can get rid of it and be transformed is to come to Jesus. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good work. Did you notice that? I'm going to say this again. I don't know, have the slightest idea if I'm talking to the outside audience or someone in here. Good works follow salvation. Amen. Why is that, Brother Bruce? I've already said it. Because now you have the Holy Spirit. And he comes to dwell within your human spirit. And it's an outworking of his personal presence, which God prepared. Don't you know, ladies and gentlemen, God's got a particular path for every born-again Christian? Every born-again Christian has some function in the local church. And God has given you a talent. And he wants you and me to use it. 28. Ho, everyone who thirsts. He has filled the hungry with good things. Isaiah 55, 1-2. Ho, everyone who thirsts. Are you thirsty this morning? I'm not talking about water. This is a different type of water. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Luke 1, he has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty handed 29 when good things increase those who consume them increase so what is the advantage to their owners except to look on an increase of property always brings an increase of expense by a multitude of servants and the owner really possesses no more and probably enjoys much less than he did when every day provided his own bread and could lay up no store for the next. But if he have more enjoyment, his cares are multiplied and he has no kind of profit. Let's put it this way. I'll put it one way. I'm sure there are others who can add to this. I don't see anything wrong with being rich if you're using it the way God wants you to use it. Number 19, I want you to seriously consider what I'm going to say, and I want you to search your heart. Suppose you ran into millions of dollars. Suppose, just suppose. Would we see you again? Would you tie to a Bible-believing church? Or would you say, hasta la vista. (laughs) I'll see you no more. I don't need you anymore, church. God knows your heart. He knows what you would do if you got millions of dollars. Can I get an amen? amen? Answer that question. What would you do if you ran into millions of dollars? Or would you say goodbye, church? See you later, I don't need you anymore. I only needed you when I was down in the dumps. Please reflect on the following. When you set your eyes on riches, it is gone, for wealthy certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. As a partridge, that hatches eggs which is not laid, which it is not laid. So is he who makes a fortune but unjustly. In the midst of his days it will forsake him, and in the end he will be a fool. You know what the greatest fool is? To hear the gospel. And know that you're lost. And turn away your face and say, I'm not going to listen to that person or that person and go out into eternity without God. Can I get a witness? Toiling after nothing, lust of the flesh. It is not indeed from the Lord of hosts that peoples toil for fire and nations grow weary for nothing. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh. I wonder. I'm going to say this for myself so you don't think I'm picking on anybody. Are you still buying those dirty books? Can I get a witness? No witness at all. Are you still buying those dirty, filthy books? That's the lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. You got so much pride, you never make a mistake. You never say, I'm sorry. You're right all the time. You're foolish because all of us make sinful thoughts. All of us have sinful habits. Can I get an amen? Amen. But I got a solution. The blood of the Lamb of God. When you confess your sins, he is just to forgive you of your sins and to keep on cleansing you from all unrighteousness. But you need the blood. And may I add this, and you can look it up for yourself, I'm not going to turn to it. I said it before, and I don't mind saying it again. The blood that ran in the veins Of the Lamb of God, according to Acts 20, 28, was the blood of God. That's why it's able to cleanse you. You're wasting your time. I'm talking to you, Christian. You're wasting your time and God's time if you're living like the world. And if you're unsaved, you're wasting your time. I was talking to a Christian brother this morning, and I didn't bring bring this in there. There's, there's a, a phrase and I don't even know where it's from. Carpe diem. Seize the moment. When you hear the gospel, respond. 34. The sleep of the waking man is pleasant, whether he eats like little or much but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. The more I got, the more I want. Here's another version. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet. His labor is healthy exercise. He is without possessions and without cares. His sleep, being understood, is sound and refreshing. I'm almost done. Here's another type of labor. Do not labor or work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. Can I get an amen? Amen. Do not work for the food which perishes. I'm going to go on to the next page, but stay here for a moment. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to the eternal life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And God the Father has set his approval. He has set his seal on what Jesus Christ has done for you. O Lord, help us to get our priorities in order. Let me read this first before I get off track. That is, for that only, but also for bread, our Lord wills every man to be active and diligent in that employment in which providence has placed him. God has you in a certain job. But it is his will also that our employment and all the concerns of life should be subservient to the interest of your soul. Gentlemen, ladies, and gentlemen, do you and I have our priorities in order? Let me just demonstrate. Money. Money cars, women, whatever. That's not in order. It should be Jesus Christ and comes down from that point on. Can I get an amen? Amen. Is he first in your life? And some of those other things that don't belong there will drop out. I'm going to give you a vivid testimony of a person who I met who was in a cult and she said this, and this is two weeks ago when I came to know Jesus Christ was God everything else fell in place that's what she said hell, heaven, she didn't believe in hell, she didn't believe in heaven, and all those other, But she, she said, when I discovered When the Holy Spirit revealed to me that Jesus Christ is God the Son, everything else fell in order. Number 37. There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun. Did you notice that phrase under the sun? That's because coheleth that's the preacher, that's the assembler, is looking at a point of view under the sun. That's all he can see. When those riches were lost through a bad investment and he had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him. This may be the case through various causes. I'm on number 38. He may make it an improper use of him. I am going to say something that's not in this message. If you are spending all your money or most of your money on things that you know you shouldn't be spending them on, you're wasting your time. You might lose your health from it, but you keep doing it. He may join in an unfortunate partnership. Iron sharpens iron. Can you say that? Iron sharpens iron. You better get with someone who's going to lift you up than make you destructive. Can I get one amen? You need to hang around godly people who talk about Jesus. Not all the time talking. Don't be super religious. But you need to get around people who will lift you up and comfort you and and help you to stand on your feet and move you forward in Jesus Christ rather than someone who's going to be always downing other people, complaining and so on. His riches may excite the desire of the robber or he may spoil him of his goods and even take away his life. I'm going to give you a personal experience because I can. My mother-in-law was now deceased. I'm going to depart for just a second. She accepted Christ as her personal Savior. But that's not the point. She was in a market one day and coming out of the market a man snatched her pocketbook out of her hand and she's an older lady. She got her pocketbook back. That's what riches do to some people. They make you crazy. Can I get a witness? Or he may leave them to his son, and I won't repeat the rest. How about if you inherit money? As we said before, are you gonna put it in his proper perspective? Back to Adam Clark, number 39. However it may be, he himself shall carry nothing with him into the eternal world. If he dies worth millions, those millions are dead to him forever. So he has had no real profit from all his labors, cares, anxieties. You and I, you brought nothing into this world. And physically, you're not going to carry anything out of this world. I want you to observe Psalm 49, 6 and 7 at the bottom. Even those who trust in their wealth and boast in their abundance of riches, no man, I'm emphasizing this because the next page brings about something, no man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. No man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. Number 40. If that statement is true, and it is, there's no such thing as purgatory. There's no such thing. You can't buy anybody out of the grave or out of seal. Hebrews 1.3 Who being the brightness of his glory, that's Jesus. And the express image of his person. Jesus Christ is the express image of his Father and upholding all things by the word of his power no I'm not going to try to sing a song like I sometimes do he's got the whole world in his hands can I get a witness maybe you don't want to hear my singing anyhow (laughs) upholding all things by the word of his power who's that the eternal son of God but what did he do When he had by himself, nobody else, purged our sins. There's your purgatory right there. He purged your sins. Not purgatory. Not another religion. Not Michael the archangel. Jesus Christ purged your sins. Matter of fact... No created being is able to purge your sins. It was the eternal son of God. What did he do after he purged your sins? He did what you're doing. He sat down. Say he sat down. That means his work is complete. On the right hand of the majesty on high. You can't take it with you. That's a common phrase. As you came from your mother's room, so you're going to go back to the ground. I'm going to go into page 42, and that's my last one. I'm going to go down to this again, and then I'm going to reflect on it. <clears throat> Even those who trust in their riches and wealth, I'm going to beg you. I can do that. I can, I'm going to beg you, I'm going to entreat you, stop trusting in your riches, in your good works, in your so called good deeds. Jesus paid it all. Well, I thought I was done. 43. When it comes down to your salvation, whom do you boast about? I'm going to make sure I don't have another page. Good. I'm done. Acts 4.12. And there is salvation and no one else. Well, there's many ways to God. And there is salvation and no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which you must be saved. No other name. I'm going to give you a familiar verse and then you can call it quits. Jesus said, Somebody almost said it. I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except...